Good afternoon, everyone. As you probably realize, this winter has been a brutal winter in several ways. From a personal standpoint, my oldest brother Rex died in December and my wife's mother died in January. I've lived in, in Missouri off and on for more than 40 years and we had the deepest snowfall I've ever experienced in my time here with well over 20 inches of snow at our location in January. We've also had some of the lowest wintertime temperatures in years. In fact, some places in the Midwest had the lowest high temperatures ever recorded <clears throat> since they started recording temperatures. And uh, we've had some of the lowest wintertime temperatures in our area with nighttime temperatures well below zero on some nights. <clears throat> we've had trials with health issues in our family and among the brethren. There are many who are suffering from various health issues and some others that we know of who have died recently. None of this is necessarily out of the ordinary for human beings. And there are many days in our lives when we are extremely blessed with few or no problems. Other times we face trials and adversity, which may occur in various ways, both circumstances, the times of plenty and abundance and blessings and times of trial and adversity both test our faith. Often we take our blessings for granted and we give little thought to how blessed we are. When trials occur, we may be tempted to complain and think that somehow we are being ignored or neglected by God. But even when we face sickness and death, God is aware of our plight. And if we maintain our faith, we are safely in his hands. In Psalm 34 and verse 19, it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So we can expect trials and afflictions in our lifetimes, but it says God will deliver us out of those if we are faithful and we strive to please him. In Psalm 34 and verse 22, it says the Lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Even in death, God has us in remembrance and we can be assured of deliverance even from the grave. In Job 19 verse 25, Job 19 verse 25, we read, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold and not another how my, how my heart yearns within me. I 
I've had occasion in the past few weeks to speak to several scores of people concerning the matter of death, including the greatly encouraging remedy for death that is described in Scripture. But death is not what many people have been led to believe. Most, in fact, are deceived and have little understanding of what death actually is and how God intends to conquer death. Interestingly, after I covered in summary form some of the information revealed in the Bible about death in one of the services recently, a gentleman came up to me and said words to the following effect. I don't remember the precise words, but he said something to the effect of, I'm glad you told the truth about what the scriptures teach concerning death and not just the usual sentimental nonsense one hears about the subject. Since this has been on my mind quite a bit recently, I want to rehearse the little understood teachings of Scripture concerning death, what death is and what is the hope that lies beyond the grave for all human beings. What is death? There are many ideas about death and what it is. And often those ideas have in common the belief that when humans die, they don't really die, but they continue to live a conscious existence somewhere, somehow. In other words, it's not really a cessation of life, it's just continuing life some other place. But the Bible teaching is very clear about the state of the dead, and yet what the Bible teaches very clearly has been enshrouded in myths and superstitions, false teachings. The ideas about an immortal soul continuing after death in heaven or in hell or in purgatory, common in popular Christianity, are also found in various heathen religions and philosophies. Scriptures where the Bible mentions heaven or hell have been have had read into them ideas alien to Scripture, ideas adopted from pagan religions in the first centuries after Christ as church leaders turned from biblical teachings and embraced pagan concepts in the guise of Christianity. And this process began even before the time of Christ as we've covered in our sermons on apostasy. For example, we've discussed how many of the Jews adopted the idea of the immortality of the soul from pagan sources even before the time of Christ. And as we read in a book called Origin of Synagogue and Church by Kaufman Kohler, he states the doctrine of the immortality of the soul is widely different from the belief in the resurrection and was adopted only by the Hellenistic Jews who followed Plato's philosophy, end quote. So this Jewish scholar and rabbi admits that the idea of the immortality of the soul was borrowed from 
a pagan philosopher and ultimately from pagan religion. And it might be well to realize that this individual is a reformed Jewish rabbi who himself espouses belief in the immortality of the soul. So he has willfully and deliberately rejected the testimony of Scripture to accept a pagan belief concerning death. Understanding what death really is and what death is not can help you better understand your own nature and that of your loved ones, and it can help you better understand God and His plan and purpose for mankind and how He intends to accomplish it. Scripture tells us human beings are made of the dust of the earth. As we read in Genesis 2 and verse 7, Genesis 2 and verse 7, the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 47, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 47, it says the first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man, speaking of Jesus Christ, is the Lord from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so are those who are made of dust. So, all of us who are human beings are made of the dust of the earth, the physical elements of the earth. God told Adam that if he disobeyed his command, he would die. Genesis 2 and verse 17. Now, keep in mind that Adam was not created immortal. We just read he was created of the dust of the earth. He was made of flesh, which is subject to decay. And that's how he was created. He was not created with immortality. And God told him that if he disobeyed his command, that he would die. He didn't have to die because he could have been made immortal. He could have been granted immortality had he obeyed God. But God told him if he disobeyed, he would die. And so we read in Genesis 2 and verse 17, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Meaning, not that he would die that very day, but that the sentence would be imposed and he would face death. And he had been given, however, the opportunity to have the gift of immortality. We read in Genesis 2 and verse 9, Genesis 2 and verse 9, Out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So Adam had access to the tree of life, which, which is symbolic of eternal life, granted through the power of God's Spirit. But he chose not to partake of that tree, rather to partake of the tree that had been forbidden to him, which, as we've explained before, essentially means rejecting God's authority over him 
and making his own rules. In other words, he chose the path of rebellion. And having done that, God told Adam and Eve, the progenitors of mankind, that they would return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return, as we read in Genesis 3 and verse 19. So through sin, death is passed upon all mankind. And all of us who are human beings die in the same manner as Adam. As we read in Romans 5, verse 12. Romans 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, we read, As in Adam all die, even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. And in Hebrews 9, verse 27, Hebrews 9, verse 27, it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Human beings, as we've seen, are made of the elements of the earth. But there is more to physical life than a mere collection of chemicals. Mere chemicals, dead matter, do not of themselves have life. The well-known physicist Werner Heisenberg, like not a few other scientists, have recognized, quoting Mr. Heisenberg, it recognized, quote, features of organic nature that are not contained in physics or chemistry, like the concept of life itself, end quote. Scientists have no real explanation for life. They don't know, truth be told, how it is possible that life exists. They have no real explanation for it. They don't truly understand it. The Bible reveals that there is a spiritual dimension to human existence and that there is a spirit in man. In Job 32 and verse 8, Job 32 and verse 8 says, There is a spirit in man, and the breath, or as it should be translated in this case, the spirit of the Almighty gives him understanding. There is a spirit in man. And without spirit, there is no life. Both the human spirit and the breath of life, that is the chemical processes which support life, sustained by the intake of oxygen and other elements and the expulsion of wastes, are necessary for physical human life to continue. It requires both, spirit and the breath of life. The spirit that God gives to us imparts life. But that spirit in man is not of itself a living entity or a living person. When life-sustaining chemical processes cease, the spirit departs and life ceases. And the body of flesh decays 
and returns to the dust. In Job 34 and verse 14, we read, If he that is God should gather to himself his spirit and breath, his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. In Ecclesiastes 8, verse 8, Ecclesiastes 8, verse 8, we read, No one has power over the spirit to retain the spirit, and no one has power in the day of death. And then we read in John 19, verse 30, John 19, verse 30, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. That was the time that he died. The spirit of a human person who dies returns to God who gave it. In Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, quote, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Humans do not have an immortal soul that continues to live as a conscious entity upon the death of the body. Scripture teaches, quote, the soul who sins shall die. The, ho the soul who sins shall die. That's in Ezekiel 18 and verse 4 and also in verse 20. The Hebrew word translated soul is nefesh and it can have a variety of meanings. It is used in Scripture of a living being, including any creature made of flesh. When God breathed the breath of life into Adam's nostrils, in the King James Version, it says, Genesis 2 and verse 7, he became a living soul. In the New King James, it says he became a living being. The word there is nephesh. So man does not have an immortal soul. Man becomes a living soul at the time that his life begins. He becomes a living soul, a living being or person. The word nephesh is used of one's life or any life sustained by blood, including human physical life, as well as other life that is sustained by blood. In Genesis 9 and verse 4, Genesis 9 and verse 4, it says, Flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, you shall not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast, will I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. In these two verses in Genesis 9 verses 4 and 5, the word life appears three times. And each of these three cases where the word life is used in these verses, both for the lives of animals as well as humans, the word nephesh is used. It is used of persons. In Exodus 4 and verse 19, Exodus 4 and verse 19, it says, Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. Give me the persons, and the word here is, the word for persons in the Hebrew is nephesh. 
The term is even used in the sense of a dead body in Leviticus 21, verse 11 and elsewhere. In Psalm 16, verse 9, beginning with verse 9 in Psalm 16, is a prophecy concerning Jesus Christ. And here it says, My flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. The word Sheol simply means the grave, and Jesus' soul, that is, in this case, his body, his dead body, was not left in the grave to decay or to see corruption. He was not in the grave long enough to really begin the process of decay. We also find in the New Testament that souls are subject to death as well as in the Old Testament. In James 5, verse 20, it says, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. The Greek word here used for soul is psuche, which means a life or a living being from another word, psuko, which means to breathe. When one dies, his life ceases. But God has the power to restore life to the dead, as he did with his friend Lazarus. And so death is often likened to a sleep in Scripture. In John 11 and verse 11, this was when Lazarus had died and Jesus came upon the scene and <clears throat> Jesus said, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Actually, this was uh, before he arrived, I believe, but uh, he was going to, to where Lazarus was. And he said, uh, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So we see here that one of many places in the Bible where sleep is used as a metaphor for death. But God also has the power to destroy one's life utterly and permanently. Jesus spoke of this permanent and irrevocable death as follows, quote, this is from Matthew 10 and verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Note that the, the soul, which means life in this case, can be destroyed in hell. Or the word here being used is Gehenna, which means the lake of fire. And if one's soul is ultimately going to be 
destroyed as punishment in the lake of fire, then that life will no longer exist and it will not continue to exist. It will simply be destroyed. And this is the second death of which we'll say more later. In Revelation 21 and verse 8, Revelation 21 and verse 8, it says, The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The ancient Egyptians and their idolatrous polytheistic religion came to believe that human consciousness continues after death, and the Greeks commonly believed as we read in the Pantheon, a book by Edward Baldwin about Greek religion, it says the Greeks commonly believed that the soul or thinking principle in man survived the destruction of the body. End quote. And similar beliefs were common among many other heathen nations of antiquity as they are today. Although this concept was absorbed eventually into popular Christianity, it is not in, in accordance with what the Bible itself teaches about death. The Bible teaches that in death no one has remembrance of God or the capacity to praise God. In Psalm 6 and verse 5, Psalm 6 and verse 5, it says, In death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave who will give you thanks? In Psalm 30 and verse 9, Psalm 30 and verse 9, What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? According to Scripture, when one dies, quote, his breath goes forth, he returns to the, the earth, and that very day his thoughts perish. And that's from the King James Version. In Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 5, we read, The dead know nothing. And in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10, it says, There is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave. The dead have no awareness of the affairs of the living, nor any power to directly influence them. As it says in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 6, quote, Their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. End quote. Now in this verse, the word nevermore, or as it is in the King James Version, forever, is from the Hebrew word olam, which may mean forever, or it may mean a period of long or indefinite duration, depending on the context. Now the Bible tells us that all who have died shall be made alive at some point, as we will discuss later. So here olam means for the du duration of time until a resurrection in another age. In other words, they will have no share in anything under the sun until a future age when there will be a resurrection for them. As mentioned above, death is frequently likened to a sleep in scripture and like a person 
in a deep sleep, there is a lack of awareness. In Psalm 13 and verse 3, we read, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. And there are many other scriptures that use this metaphor of sleep for death. <clears throat> so when one dies, he sleeps in the grave, so to speak, until he is called back to life. In Job 14, verse 12, Job 14, verse 12, it says, A man lies down and does not rise till the heavens are no more, in other words, until a future age, they will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service I will wait till my change comes. You shall call and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands. End quote. Now we've seen that one spirit returns to God at the time of death. And that is not the same as a conscious soul going to heaven to continue living. David, a man after God's own heart, is not in heaven. In Acts 2 and verse 29, Acts 2 and verse 29, it says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. It goes on to say in verse 34 of Acts 2, quote, For David did not ascend into the heavens, end quote. And yet David was judged faithful by God. Now he committed sins at time, but he at times, but he repented. Some of his sins are recorded in the Bible. For our learning and edification. But overall, David was judged faithful in Acts 13, verse 22. Acts 13, verse 22, it says, He raised up for them David as king to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. End quote. Jesus himself, having died, had not yet ascended to his Father in heaven after three days. When Mary Magdalene saw Jesus early in the morning following his resurrection, we read in John 20 and verse 17, John 20 and verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But I go to my, bre but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. At this point in time, no one has ascended to heaven, that is the third heaven where God is, except Jesus, that is no human being, has ascended to heaven except Jesus. As we read in John 3 and verse 13, 
John 3 and verse 13, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. So John wrote, when John wrote this, Jesus Christ had ascended back to heaven. And John wrote this sometime probably in the last latter part of the first century. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. Speaking of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus had, as I mentioned, ascended into heaven at the time that John wrote his gospel. He ascended into heaven 40 days after his resurrection. We read in Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 9, Acts 1 and verse 9, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. End quote. Jesus, as a human being, who had been resurrected to eternal life, only ascended into heaven after he had descended into the lower parts of the earth. That is, after he was buried in the heart of the earth. In Ephesians 4 and verse 8, Ephesians 4 and verse 8, Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he who first also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended, in other words, was buried in the earth, is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So Jesus, as a fleshly human being, died and he was buried. And he was in the heart of the earth for three days, three nights. And then he was resurrected again to eternal life and brought out of the grave and later on ascended to heaven. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, it says, I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. We're told that of all human beings at this time only, Jesus Christ has immortality because he alone at present has been resurrected to eternal life. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 16, it says, 
speaking of Jesus Christ, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Christ alone has immortality. And no one has seen the place where Jesus Christ is dwelling now in heaven. No human being has. In Revelation 1 and verse 18, Revelation 1 and verse 18, it says, I, Jesus Christ, am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. As far as hell is concerned, we've uh, covered that subject as well as the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in other sermons and articles which you can review on our website if you are of a mind to. CogMessenger.org. While death to many may seem to have an awful finality to it, the good news is that there is a remedy for death. As we read in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive but each one in his own order. It says that everyone who dies in Adam, that is every human being, will be made alive, but each one in his own order. That is, there, is a, there, well, there are a series of resurrections revealed in the Bible. And even the vast bulk of mankind those who have not found salvation in this lifetime will be resurrected at the time set for this by God. The first resurrection occurs at the time of Christ's second coming. As we read in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at His coming. Speaking of the resurrection. Christ the first to be resurrected and afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. We read more about this in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So we should not sorrow as if there were no hope, because there is hope. He goes on to explain, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Notice here again, death is likened to sleep. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. 
<clears throat> we also read about the first resurrection in Revelation 20, in verse 1. <clears throat> Revelation 20, in verse 1, it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him. This bottomless pit is simply an abyss, a, a place where there will be a pit of burning sulfur. And... Uh, where the earth's magma is broken through the crust and he will be cast into this pit and imprisoned there. It says he will be shut up and a seal set on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years are finished. After these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And the rest of the dead did not live again till the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection, over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and they shall reign with him a thousand years. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 18, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 18, we read, if there is no resurrection, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Our hope is not having an immortal soul. Our hope for being freed from death is the resurrection. The hope beyond this life for those who are truly converted and faithful to God is the resurrection, not our soul going to heaven. There's nothing like that in the Bible. That, that is a teaching that is contrary to Scripture. That is the soul going to heaven. In Acts 24 and verse 15, Paul said, Acts 24 and verse 15, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Notice he said there will be a resurrection of the dead, and that was his hope. He said nothing about his hope being having an immortal soul and going to heaven. His hope was that there will be a resurrection of the dead, and this resurrection will include both the just and the unjust. And as we already read, it is a, actually a series of resurrections. The first resurrection that we read about is a resurrection to immortality. It is not merely a physical resurrection with a physical fleshly body, but it is a resurrection to 
immortality, where we will have a body that is not subject to death. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52, 1 Corinthians 52, uh, 15, verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. That is, not subject to decay, not subject to death. That will be, the dead will be raised incorruptible in this resurrection, the first resurrection that is being spoken of here, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality, no longer subject to death. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. But what about the others? What about the vast multitudes who will not be in the first resurrection? The good news is that the hope of the resurrection includes them as well. Notice earlier we read, it said the rest of the dead will not live again until after the thousand year period following Christ's second coming. And it says the rest of the dead. It doesn't say anything about them being alive. It says they are dead. <clears throat> they're not alive in heaven and they're not in an imaginary cauldron of fire that many conceive of as hell. They're not alive anywhere. They're dead. The rest of the dead, Revelation 20, verse 5, did not live again until the thousand years were finished. Jesus said in John 5, verse 28, John 5, verse 28, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear, hear his voice. Notice where they are, they're in their graves. And it says the hour is coming for every one of them in which each individual person in his grave will hear Christ's voice. And, verse 29, come forth. Come forth from the grave. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And the word translated condemnation here should not be translated condemnation. In this case, it should be translated judgment. And this is speaking of two distinct resurrections. A resurrection to eternal life, the first resurrection, and a resurrection to judgment. After the thousand year period or the millennium will be a second or general physical resurrection whereupon the dead will stand before God and will be judged. And we read about this in Revelation 20, beginning with verse 11. I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God 
and books were opened. And another, another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The books being the Bible. Actually, the word Bible just means books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades, which simply means the grave, delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each one according to his works. Now notice that the books are opened, that is the Bible. And also it says the book of life is opened. And those being judged then will have an opportunity to have their names written in the book of life. That is, they will be, have the opportunity to be given the gift of salvation, of eternal life in the kingdom of God. In this period of judgment, those having been resurrected at that time will be taught of God and they will have an opportunity to repent free of Satan's influence. We read in John 6, verse 45, John 6, verse 45, as it, uh, it is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. Every human being will have the opportunity to be, to be taught the truth from the word of God. We read more about this resurrection in Ezekiel 37, beginning with verse 1. Ezekiel 37 and verse 1, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them all around. Behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the eternal. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. Obviously, this is a resurrection to physical life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet in an exceeding great army. He said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry and our hope is lost and we ourselves are cut off. 
Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, has spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. So this is speaking of a resurrection of the vast multitudes of the people of Israel who lived and died not having attained salvation in this age. Romans 11 and verse 1, Romans 11 and verse 1, Paul said, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. And he goes on to explain, beginning with verse 23 in Romans 11, and they also, the people of Israel, if they do not continue in unbelief. Now these are speaking of the people of Israel who were not faithful, who died in their sins, who died in a condition of unbelief. And he says, they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, he's writing to people who were of Gentile descent, primarily. And he said, if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will those who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. And this is all of mankind, not just the people of Israel, but all human beings as we've seen. All who are in the graves will hear the voice of Jesus Christ at some point and come forth from the grave. And the vast majority will, after having the truth revealed to them, with Satan out of the way, 
being taught and governed by God and his kingdom, the vast majority will come to repentance. But some will not. Some will even then refuse. And the Bible speaks of the wicked who refuse to repent, despite being given every reasonable opportunity, who will be burned up like the chaff with unquenchable fire, as we read in Matthew 3 and verse 12. Now the term unquenchable fire used there does not signify a fire that never ever goes out. It's not that they're going to be burning up for eternity in hell, as some imagine. It is a fire that they will be cast into and be burned up. Now God prophesied of a fire that could not be quenched affecting the people of ancient Judah and Jerusalem. In Jeremiah 17, verse 27, God prophesied through Jeremiah, if you will not heed me to hell of the Sabbath day, such as not carrying a burden when entering the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates and it shall be devour the palaces of Jerusalem and it shall not be quenched. When did this fire occur? Jerusalem was burned with fire when this prophecy was fulfilled as the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar burned the city of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. It's recorded in 2 Kings 25, verse 9. 2 Kings 25, verse 9. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. This fire consumed the houses that were burned and they then went out, having fulfilled the purpose, exhausted their fuel, they went out. They were not put out, they simply burned themselves out. That fire is not now burning. The fires God uses to destroy the incorrigibly wicked will serve their purpose and then will go out. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 11, 2 Peter 3 and verse 11, it says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In Proverbs 29, verse 1, it says, He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. When the fires of Gehenna have done their job in consuming the wicked and purging the earth, they too will go out and there will be, as Peter said, a new heavens and a new earth. That is, it will be the same globe, but one completely renewed. And one, you might say in a sense, purged by fire. The incorrigibly wicked who have been burned up 
will be left uh, neither root nor branch and will simply be ashes under the feet of those who have learned to fear God as we read in Malachi 4 and verse 1. Malachi 4 and verse 1, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. And then in verse 3 it says, You'll, You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. There is to be no eternally burning hell and no endless torture for lost humans or humans who have willfully rejected God, although given every opportunity for salvation. Following the judgment of the general resurrection, death and hell themselves will be, in a sense, cast into the lake of fire along with the incorrigibly wicked who will suffer the second death, as we read in Revelation 20 and verse 14. Revelation 20 and verse 14, Then death and Hades, or the grave, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And as we read earlier in Revelation 21 and verse 7, it says, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns the fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So those who practice such sins and refuse to repent ultimately will pay the price for their refusal to submit to God and His laws. Only those made righteous in God's sight will remain. As we read in Revelation 21 and verse 27, Revelation 21 and verse 27, there shall by, be no, uh, by no means enter it, that is the new Jerusalem, anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now after these things, as we read in Revelation 21 and verse 4, there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. What the Bible teaches about death is clear if we read it carefully. The pagan mythological concept of immortal souls cast into hell is foreign to the picture of death and future punishment found in Scripture. Neither do men go to heaven when they die. Rather, when our lifetimes in this age end, our consciousness ceases, and we sleep in our graves until a resurrection. And every single human being will have a full opportunity for salvation and eternal life in the kingdom of God.